So we are three talks into the current series, which is Blessed. Um, and I am officially off the preaching rotor, as you can tell. Um, because my dissertation is in in September. I'm so sorry, like you're so sick of this. But you've walked with me, you're my family, deal with it. So, um, so yeah, so Elijah said, I'm really sorry I put you down for number three. Um, and I was like, uh, Okay, what is it? So you said it's eat. I was like, okay, <laughs> great, great title. Um, and then, <laughs> and then um, this week, my best friend found out I was preaching and she privately messaged me and went, sorry, can you explain why you're preaching? And I was like, um, because the title's eat. She went, all right, fair enough. <clears throat> so, um, so I've subtitled it, Who Has God Put in Your Life? Um, and I've made you all a handout because, you know, I like a good handout. But my printer went rogue, so um, it doesn't work, which reinforces one of my points. One of my points, the second point is vulnerability. So God has ticked that box in every way today for me. I didn't have time to put my makeup on. Um, I didn't, um, my feet were hurting, so I didn't wear the shoes I wanted to wear. My son told me that my trousers were disgusting but they're amazing. Watch this. <laughs> Happy trousers. So, um, so yeah, so like vulnerability is ticked and even the handouts that I wanted to be beautiful don't work. So, you know, amen. <laughs> so yeah, so, so my first point, um, is the real thing. This week, um, my husband and I, had the privilege and the heartbreak of going to our friend's funeral. Um, But when I looked around the room, um, what I actually realized was she's my friend, but she's actually my friend's mother. And it was this, just this amazing moment where I was like, wow, we really are her friend. Like, and then the vicar said, the last time I met her, I told her she was the real thing. And everybody in that room just nodded the head. And then he spoke about her legacy and he spoke about the roots that she planted in people and how she fed people, how she, whether it be a cup of tea or a banquet or a three-course meal, she, um, she opened her heart and she fed us extravagantly, but in every sense of the word. And while she fed us, she built a community of all ages, of all shapes and sizes, some of us were intimate with her and she loved, the, the man sat next to me, she loved him like a son and he broke like a son next to me and, um, and eating was the vehicle. So my first question is who, who, whose life did God put you in? Through the course of me rambling, Think about that. Think about who is your surrogate mom or dad or sister or brother or cousin? Who is the person who walks with you and shows up at the right time? Who feeds you? Who's your soul food? Doesn't have to be blood. And the second thing that Pam taught me was a massive challenge. And I didn't know this. Was that she still did that even when she was really poorly 
And that took vulnerability. She opened herself up and she gave herself. She fed us, no matter what was going on in her life. And for me in a season where I'm really struggling with who I am and I'm really struggling with huge emotions, I would like to hide away. I would like to keep my friendship circle small. I would like to not open my door. But I haven't done that because one, my husband won't let me because he reminds me of who God's made me. And two, because that's not what we're called to do. Um, any of you who know me know that I have a bit of a, a bit of an obsession with Brianne Brown. And she says, owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerability is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love, belonging, joy, the experience that makes us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. You don't know what your season is going to do and how your season is going to bless those around you. It costs us. It costs us far more than financially to open up our home, to open up our hearts and to stand there in front of people and be seen. Yet... When we are brave, remarkable things happen. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. In the season that I'm in at the moment, I realise that um, that showing my crazy and allowing people in gives them permission to let, me, to let me see the real them. But if you think about it, God sees you crazy anyway. And he, he is the one that loves you the most. Like there is nothing that we can do to make him love us less. Nothing. So if he is all that matters, and if we live for an audience of one, then really, what's the worst that could happen? Like, so I show Elijah my crazy, and he decides that that's too much crazy for for him, and he doesn't want to come to my house for tea again. Fine. That's okay. Because there's another person that's going to feed him. I'm not the person to. That's okay. So in preparing this, and can I just say, my next slide is wrong vulnerability. Um, So how many stories do you think there are in the Bible about eating? I was like, eating really? Come on, it's not like. But so when I wrote my slide, I'd counted 15. Five were about life-giving food and 10 were about eating with Jesus. But actually then I remembered this morning that I'd missed one out. So the 16 and any theologians in the room, if you want to kind of Facebook us and let us know how many are really there. That's great. But I've been working on 16 this week. Um, Eating is important. But today, I'm going to break that down into two columns. The first is 
eating with others. And the second is life-giving food. <clears throat> so I've done, um, again, if this is the first time you've, preached, uh, you've heard me preach, I am um, painfully aware that I am not qualified to do this. And so I overcompensate for prepping a lot. So I was reading some amazing podcast, uh, listening to some amazing podcasts at work. Um, it's interesting when de- developers see you flip open a notebook and start writing things about Jesus. And they're like, because I had my headphones on and that's what I was doing. Like I was doing something else and then all of a sudden was like, oh, that's a really good point. So the podcast, that I, two of the really great podcasts I listen to are on your handouts. I recommend them. Um, but Tim Keller um, does an amazing one called Eating with Jesus. And the thing that hit me between my eyes was John 21, 15, feed my lambs. My lambs. He doesn't say, love the people who make it easy for you to be vulnerable in front of. He doesn't say, stick to the people that, that, make, you, that, that make the job easy. I can't speak today, hold on. But what he says is that he's asked us, God's called us to feed his lambs in all shapes and sizes. Which brings me back to my first question. Who has God put in your life? Because he's put it in your life. He hasn't put it in mine. I've got my own lambs. And apparently the lambs that God's given me are the lambs that like my crazy. Or need my crazy. But, you know... Think of the people that God's put around you. He's asked you to love them. He's asked you to, to, to be Jesus to them. And so Tim Keller puts it like this, that you should be friendly to everybody. You have no idea what is going on in anybody else's life, truly. So give them a break. Brian Brown puts it like this. You should respond to people as if they're giving you their best. If you assume that everybody you meet is giving you the best that they can give you today, then you will be much more gracious. So be friendly to everybody. Secondly, Tim Keller says that you should have 10 friends in the church that are true friends, that are close to you, that see you, that walk with you, that support you, that love you. And then you should have 10 friends outside of church who are close to you, intimate with you, know you. Now, I don't know what your season is. You might be very fortunate to have 50 friends in church and 50 friends out of church. The point that hit me was that it's, that it's equal. That you don't just surround yourself with people in the church, but you equally don't just surround yourself with non-church people. I mean, let's be perfectly honest, or I should be perfectly honest, I sometimes in my past have preferred to not be friends with Christians. This church is changing that perception for me, thankfully. But there has been a time I didn't grow up in church. I grew up knowing Jesus, but I didn't grow up in church because I didn't have a church where I lived. And so church culture is very hard for me. But do you know what? I think it's a right balance, 50-50. Because 
The ten, the ten people in church will pour into you, invest in you, and encourage you in who God wants you to be and where God wants you to get. And the ten friends outside of church, you can just love and pour out on. You can bless. You can be Jesus to them. So, that point was too long. I'm very sorry. Also, my, um, my, my third point is seasons. Tim Keller didn't come up with this one. I came up with it on my own. Uh, I believe that friends are for a season. I believe that some friends, Jemima totally agrees with me. I believe that there are some friends that are going to love you in every walk of your life for all of your life. And those friends are priceless jewels. But there are some people that God brings into your life for a season. And, and that's okay. That's, that has been one of the hardest lessons for me to learn. That sometimes you can be like family with somebody and then you lose contact because life gets busy. And then guilt that I felt is really hard to bear because I think, well, no, I should still be that for them or they should still be that for me. But I went to a wedding. We went to a wedding uh, two weeks ago and there was 240 people at the sit-down meal. They chose not to have an evening do. They chose to acknowledge every person that has planted a seed in them, every person that has loved them, nurtured them, walked with them. And this person isn't close to me anymore. But I looked around the room and I started to cry because there was at least 50 people in that room that have invested in me and loved me and walked with me. And it was like talking to them the next day, like no time had passed and we just picked up where we left off because our hearts are tied. God honored that relationship. So don't worry if seasons change. Your friends are still there and they're still rooting for you. It's just that maybe there's a bit of distance and that's okay. So I'm going to read from Matthew, the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. Matthew got up and followed them. While Jesus was eating dinner with Matthew in, at Matthew's house, many tax collectors, sinners, came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go, but, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. <clears throat> so in preparing for this, you'll see on the handouts that there are several chapters that I've read. And the thing that unites them all is Jesus' posture as he, eats with, as he eats with the people. The Latin that keeps coming up is, he reclined at the table. Like, I love that. Because it just conjures up this amazing image to me. That he's like, he's not going anywhere. He's snuggled down. And he's like, he's kicked back. You might be having a glass of wine. And he's just like, the dirty plates are on the table. And he's just, 
sitting and doing communities, doing life with people. The other thing that hit me was what happens when Jesus goes into somebody's home. The surrounding community come. The surrounding community come and they are healed and they are transformed. I think something really amazing happens when you genuinely do life with people, when you feed them, when you let them knock at your door at any given moment and you invite them in, when you let them see the muck and the dirt and the washing and the ironing board still up, when you stop apologising for the muck and the ironing board being up, there's something really beautiful happens in there. And if it happens in the Bible and it happened when Jesus was feeding people, what do you think he could do in your, in your house, in your home? So, it happens again in the feeding of the 5,000. Many of you will know this. But the feeding of the 5,000 happened just after Jesus had been told that his cousin had died. Like, so if there's ever a time when you're like, do you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. It's when somebody, like a brother, has died. It says, um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to, the solit- to a solitary place. He knew that he needed to be with the Father. He knew that he needed some time. And that is okay. He was looking after himself. Which kind of brings me to my next point. But on hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a a large crowd. He He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. there's a lovely bit in verse um, in verse 14 it says evening evening was approaching the disciples came to him and said this is a remote place it's already getting late send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy some food Jesus replied they do not need to go away you give them some you give them something to eat We have here only five fish and uh, five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them to me, he said. God will provide. The other day, somebody told me that they were feeling a little bit isolated. And I said, You can come to my house for tea if you want, but I can't guarantee it'll be anything fancy. It'll probably be beans on toast, but I do go the extra mile with cheese. And they smiled and said, it doesn't matter what we eat. God will provide. People don't need a three-course meal. Sometimes they just need a a hug and a cup of tea. I used to drive Michael mad. Still do. Um, And I used to always cook a new meal. Like, so if anybody was coming around for tea. And I remember Dave and Jackie Dixon once came around to our house for tea. And I made them 
chicken in a cider sauce or something. And I also remember, like, lifting the lid of the pan and burning my nostrils because <laughs> the steam, like, whacked me in the face. And I was so stressed. The meal was average. Like, seriously, beans on toast would have probably been just as good. But I, like, I, I'd, like, thought it had to be something, and it really doesn't. It, like, God will provide. <clears throat> but then it's the thing that happens next. So after he's fed 5,000 plus people, it says in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side and while, while they dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was alone. Here is where we have the switch from the focus of others to ourselves. If Jesus needed to take time to feed himself, to breathe, how much more do we need to spend time with Jesus and God and feed on their word? Are we taking the time to look after ourselves emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally? You all know that I struggle with saying no and stripping tasks back. But honestly, maybe God's asking you to look around, look at the people that he's put in your life. Look at the things that you're filling your life with. And are they bearing fruit? Are they feeding you? Are they soul food? Like Chris on the drums today, I was like, yes, that is soul food. Seeing my friend for lunch on Friday, she is soul food. She brings Jesus with her. She speaks truth and life into me. Painting is soul food. What is your soul food? Where do you find Jesus? Go be with him. It might be on a mountainside. It says in John chapter 6, 35 to 40, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, I have, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. We need to eat from the word of God. It says in Corinthians 1, I know it doesn't, it says 1 Corinthians 10, 3-4, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. You need to build this into your day. You need to build this into your week. For me, it goes full circle. 
Vulnerability, I used to think, was a weakness, something to be apologized for. I spent a lot of time apologizing. I'm smiling at Terry, because she used to tell me off. Brian Brown says, I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from relationship. That relationship is threefold. It is with God, it is with yourself, and it is with others. If you do not make time for God, you will be running on empty. Therefore, you will not give yourself permission to be vulnerable because you will want to apologize for who God's made you and you don't need to do that. He's made you, he sees you, and he values you. If you do not make time for yourself, whether it be running, playing the drums, walking in the garden when you want to shout at your five-year-old. If you do not make time to breathe and check your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health, you will not be able to do this. You matter. Don't pour out of an empty jug. Oh, the cliches are coming. Others. Who has God put around you? Do you know, God lives in your house. Like I tell this to my little boy who sometimes, his imagination is exactly the way mine was and he sees things in corners and he sees shadows. When he was about three, I remember saying, not having it because this is God's house so whatever you think you see it's not there because this is God's house and then I hadn't planned to share this but I'm going to at nursery they were talking about safety how you keep yourself safe <laughs> and um, so people were talking about looking both ways before they cross the road and da 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 so Finley stood up didn't put his hand up stood up was like Jesus He keeps you safe. (laughs) When there's things in my room, I just pray and I'm like, you don't belong here because this is Jesus's house. (laughs) I was like, yeah, we, we love Jesus in our house. (laughs) Um, But the nursery nurse teacher, one of them anyway, turns out she was a Christian and thought it was like the best thing ever and wrote it down. So I've got it, I've got it time dated and everything, but it says in Joshua twenty four fifteen. it says, but if, you, but if serving the Lord seems un, undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of your ancestors served beyond the something, or the gods of the Amorites in those lands you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's part of serving 
the Lord, I believe, to build community. And I don't, I don't want to be in a community where I can't be the real thing. Like, some of you, hopefully, will be at my funeral. <laughs> and I hope that it's said of me that I will also be the real thing. My Uncle Peter, some of you will know, passed away two years ago. He was the real thing. The amount of people at the tabernacle was incredible. But what was incredible was the fact that he saw them, he heard them, and he valued them. He was a father, not just to my cousins, because of the blood connection. But he was a father to me. And he was a father to, off the top of my head, I can think of at least six or seven people that would count him as their father. There was no blood involved. He just responded to the people that God put in his life. And he loved them deeply. So as God called Matthew to dinner, I want to call you. I want to ask God to birth a vision in you today. I want to ask God to to show you which of his lambs you have been called to feed. I want to ask God to give you the courage to be present, to be vulnerable, and to be real. And while you're doing it, remember to have fun. Remember to recline at the table. Linger. And when you do that, Watch how community grows. Watch how God uses you to build real relationships and real community. So, my last point before I ask you to stand and I'm going to pray for you is that people matter. That's like, probably for the last 10 years has been on the tips of my tongue every day. People matter. Love wins But don't forget that you're people. So as you're pouring out, remember that when you're proclaiming that people matter, that you're a person and you matter. So feed yourself and feed others. Would you like to stand? If the band want to come back, please. Father God, in this time of worship, I just, I just pray that you would birth a vision in their hearts, Lord Jesus, in my heart. I just pray that you would show us the community that you've put around us, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would show us the people that you want us to pour into, Lord Jesus. To love extravagantly for no other reason than they are yours. And they are in our lives, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would, we would see the legacy that you're building, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would show us that family is something that runs far deeper than blood, Lord.
And Father God, I pray that, um, that if there are people here today who, who don't know your saving, healing love, Lord Jesus, that you would draw them close, that you would ask them to become your family, Lord, and that you would give them the courage to say yes. So Father God, I praise you and I thank you that you loved us so much that you died for us. And that as you call us out into our, the end of our comfort zones, Father God, that you ask us to be vulnerable and be real. That we don't do it alone, Father God, but we do it with you in your strength, in your power. I pray this in your almighty name. Amen.